Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 38. In the last episode, I covered the remaining places in Judges 9, including the Tower of Sheshcham, which led to the general history of fortified towers. We also visited Mount Zalman in Thebes. Then I surveyed the narrative in Judges 10, picking out the places that I'll get to in this episode. And with that, let's get started. First up this week is the place of Shamir, where the judge Tola was from. It was in the hill country of Ephraim. This, and a singular reference in Joshua, are the only mentions in the text. There is a person in First Chronicles with the name, a Levite, and the son of Micah, making him the great something grandson of Levi and a distant cousin of Moses. And that's it for both the person and the place Shamir. There is something else with the name that isn't mentioned in the text, but is found in Jewish tradition. And, if only because I may never get to it again, I'll cover it here. In the Gamara, which is part of the Talmud, the Shamir is either a worm or a substance that had the power to cut through or disintegrate stone, iron, and diamond. King Solomon is said to have used it in the building of the first temple in Jerusalem instead of the more expected cutting tools. The Talmud provided a certain bit of reasoning behind this. Among other things, the temple was built to promote peace. Therefore, it would have been inappropriate to use tools that could also be used in war and in bloodshed in general. Hammers, axes, chisels, blunt objects. This Shamir was referenced throughout the Talmud and the Midrash and said to have existed in the time of Moses. At that time, it was seen as one of the ten wonders created on the eve of the first Sabbath, just before God finished creation, meaning it didn't just exist at the time of Moses, but had been here since the creation. Of course, this had me wondering what the Talmud considered the other nine wonders. Trying not to dive too deep into that rabbit hole, here they are. And keep in mind that some things, probably many things, are lost in translation. The first wonder was the mouth of the earth, explained as when the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his followers. Next was the mouth of the well the well that gave water when the Israelites were wandering in the desert. This was followed by the mouth of the donkey. When I first saw this, I was wondering if that was symbolic, or if there truly was something amazing about a donkey's mouth. Then, I found an explanation that narrowed it to Balaam's talking jack. And with that, it made more sense. After the donkey was the rainbow, I didn't know what to do with that one, considering the list was said to have been created before Noah. Then the same source that pointed to a single talking donkey also pointed specifically to Noah's sign. After the rainbow was manna and Moses' staff, the one used to perform miracles in front of Pharaoh, both among the most self-explanatory. Number seven was the Shamir, the whole reason this list came up, at least at this point in the podcast. The first use of the shamir was said to be to cut the stones used in the breastplate 
the first breastplate fashioned for the first priest, Aaron. Next were the letters. I assumed this was writing, though it could have also been the word of God, like in the beginning. Finally, there were the tablets, likely meaning the first tablets, not a replacement tablets given to Moses by God. The stone tablets fashioned by God were left at just that. It was said the same, singular writing could be seen on all four sides of these tablets. One source said this feature was only on the first set of tablets, the ones Moses destroyed in anger after discovering the golden calf. There are other, more minority opinions about other things considered wondrous and created at the same time. Among these are demons, the grave of Moses, and the realm of Abraham, the one he sacrificed instead of Isaac. Finally, in one source, there were metalworking tongs. The theory was that you couldn't make a new set of tongs without an existing set, since an existing pair was needed to pull the new tongs from the furnace. Therefore, God needed to create the first pair, and this happened at twilight on the sixth day. It's similar logic that explains the need for God to create the other objects. And those are the ten wonders. Back to the Shamir. Moses reputedly used the Shamir to engrave the priestly breastplate stones that were inserted in the Aaron's breastplate. King Solomon, who knew of the existence of the Shamir, but not its location, ordered a search that turned up a grain-sized shamir the size of a barley corn, about a third of an inch, a single centimeter. Once found, Solomon's masons reportedly used the shamir in the construction of the temple that bore the king's name, a.k.a. the first temple. I'll get to an alternate shamir discovery story in a minute or two. And the material this Shamir worked on wasn't just stone. The substance to be worked, stone, wood, metal, was affected by being shown to the Shamir. Expanding on this logic, specifically, that anything that can be shown something must have eyes to see. Early rabbinical scholars described the Shamir almost as a living being though I find this to be an incredibly pedantic use of the word shown. Other early sources take a different tact, describing it as a green stone. There are other tidbits. For storage, the shamir was meant to have been always wrapped in wool and stored in a container made of lead. If it were stored in any other manner, the container would burst and disintegrate under the shamir's gaze. The Shamir was said to have been either lost, or maybe lost its potency, by the time of the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. According to the deuterocanonical Asmodeus legend, the Shamir was given to Solomon as a gift from Asmodeus, the king of the demons. No word on how it fell into his hands. As for this Asmodeus, in Jewish legend, and like I said, he was the king of the demons. According to the book of Tobit, which may be canonical or apocryphal depending on your religion and within Christianity or denomination, 
According to Tobit, Asmodeus was smitten with love for Sarah, the daughter of Ragel, so smitten that he killed her seven successive husbands on their wedding nights. Following instructions given to him by the angel Raphael, Tobias overcame Asmodeus and married Sarah. The Talmud claims that Solomon captured the demon, then enslaved him during the construction of the first temple in Jerusalem. Other Haggadic legends depict Asmodeus as a more benevolent figure. Another version of the Shamir story claims that a captured Asmodeus told Solomon the Shamir was entrusted to the care of a woodcock. Solomon then sends his trusted aide, Benea, on a quest to retrieve it from the bird. No word on how this bird allegedly stored the stone without wool and lead. Though, to be clear, that's a completely different legend. The Shamir was also purportedly used by King Solomon to engrave gemstones. Another source claims he used the blood of the Shamir worm to make carved jewels with a mystical seal or design. This may have led to the belief that gemstones engraved in this manner would have magical qualities, and they often ended up with their own powers or guardian angels associated with either the gem or the specifically engraved stones. The belief in the Shamir and its powers wasn't limited to Judaism. Word of it can be found in the Quran, which mentions the Shamir when pointing out the ignorance of the jinn who worked for Solomon and also concerning the occult, emphasizing that all knowledge rests only with God. I've touched on it before, so as a reminder, think of the jinn in that culture as akin to a genie. Still in Islamic culture, according to some Islamic commentators, when Solomon died, his body remained leaning on his staff for a long time, nearly a full year, until a creature of the earth, which was kind of a worm, gnawed through the stick, causing the stick to be weaker, and Solomon's body fell to the ground. It was only then that the jinn knew that he had died a long time before, and until then they had been working hard, thinking they were being supervised by him. It then became clear to humans who divined and engaged in occult activities, or spirit consulting, or worshipped the jinn, that they do not possess knowledge of higher, necessary things. And that's it for the Shamir. Next up is a place known as Cayman, where the judge Jair, the Gileadite, was buried. Like many of the places found in this part of the text, not much is really known about it except for the little found in Judges, along with contextual clues that go along with that mention. It could possibly be one of a pair of archaeological ruins, specifically Kam or Cumaim. These are found about 6 and 7 miles, 10 or 11 kilometers, respectively, to the southeast of Umquays, in the very north and west of the modern country of Jordan, just south of the Sea of Galilee. The ruins of Kam, about 200 yards square, are atop a small hill and seem to indicate an important place in the past. There are large rock-hewn cisterns to its south. Among the ruins of Cumilm, which are not much to speak of, but there are a few mud huts with an estimated ancient population of about 200. 
Whichever place it was, it was found in what's known as Havath Jair, with the Jair reference not referring to the judge, but more likely that his name referred back to the place. This place name, Havath Jair, is found in the Old Testament to refer to a certain group of villages east of the Jordan River. We now would call this place the East Bank, and would mostly be found in the country of Jordan, with small bits in Israel and Syria. Depending on the source, it could either be about 60 towns in the eastern half of the tribe of Manasseh, and as seen in Numbers in Deuteronomy, or 33 villages in Gad, these are seen in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles, or 30 villages in Gilead, as found in this part of Judges. The cities in Manasseh are identified as having been well fortified, with high walls and gates, set in Solomon's era to have formed a part of the district governed by Ben-Geber. This group of towns are more clearly identified as having been the main towns of the Argob, a rocky region in the otherwise mild plain of Bashan, places that earlier in the text were ruled by King Og, before the Israelites returned from Egypt and conquered the Canaanite king, capturing the region in the process. The name Havath Jair can mean hamlets of Jair. The text depicts these villages as having been founded by a person named Jair, who conquered the previous towns and villages in these locations. In the case of the villages with Manassan ancestry, they refer to a Jair, listed as a descendant of Manasseh, Joseph's son and Jacob's grandson. Somewhere in here are the Gileadites, which would include the judge Jair, all part of the same extended family. It is possible that the three groups of towns in fact refer to the same set of places, or at least overlap greatly. The different ancestries and locations reflect the ever-evolving tribal and political situations of the towns and villages, and likely reflect the time periods that each particular part of the text was recorded. And that's it for Cayman, the resting place of the Judge Jair, and the last of the people, places, and things found in Judges 10, which provides me with a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up in Judges 11 with the story of the Judge Jephthah. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.